add my welcome to you this morning. I'm, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are visiting with us, don't rush off too quickly after the service is over. We'd love to greet you and find out what brings you out to church on this uh, beautiful holiday weekend. Uh, we are wrap, we've wrapped up our series that we called Bless, uh, which we've talked about how can we take some practical missional steps to, to take the blessing that we have been re- we've received from God and turn it around and give it away as gifts to our neighbors and our friends in, in very simple and practical ways. And, and really this connects back to uh, about 18 months ago, if you've been with us at the church for that long, uh, we started what we've been calling our Vitality Pathway, where we've been asking questions of what does it mean for us to be a healthy and a missional church? And, and we, we received 10 missional markers that were based on scripture that identify what does a healthy and a missional church look like? Uh, if you don't remember what all 10 were, we're not going to go through them today, so don't worry. Uh, but they're all up on the wall in our lobby and down uh, the hallway that go to the bathrooms down this way. And since that time, we've been walking the vitality pathway, and we're uh, in the middle of our strategic planning process, which is really the the last step on the pathway, and we're really excited to begin to uh, roll that out this summer. And by this next fall, in September, when we launch our new ministry year, we are going to be presenting a a mission and a vision for where do we see God leading us as a church into the season ahead. So I hope that you're getting excited about that. We'll share a little bit at our mid-year celebration on June 4th. So be sure you come out uh, next Sunday and be up, I'm sorry, June 11th, come out for the mid-year celebration uh, between services. It's going to be exciting. But I'd like to suggest that even though we launched that series uh, 18 months ago, we've continued to live into and live out of those missional markers. Uh, If you were here with us or with our series after Christmas leading up to Easter that we called How Goes Your Walk, where we walked with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, if you think about it, that whole series was really about missional marker number two, a life-transforming walk with Jesus Christ, which is one of the marks of a healthy and missional church. And then we just completed our blessed series that I uh, mentioned, and that was all about marker number three, intentional evangelism. Are we intentional as a church about bringing the good news to those who don't yet know Jesus and are perhaps far from God? Today, I thought a logical next step for Memorial Day weekend and it would be to kind of look at missional marker number four, which is transforming communities through active ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. Because if you think about it, the goal of discipleship isn't just for our own personal benefit alone, is it? Right? The whole idea of being intentional about evangelism is that God calls us to go out and share that good news with other people so that more people can become Christians and they can experience the mercy and the grace and the healing of Jesus in their lives. In the same sense, you could say that evangelism and discipleship isn't for the church alone, right? It's not just the latest church growth technique where we're trying to figure out how big can we grow our church to get a bunch of people in here. It's about taking the good news of God into the world as salt and as light, Jesus said. We need to be that salt seasoning, the flavor of God in our community. We need to shine light into the dark places where people live so that as we give the gift away that God has given us, we actually become a part of transforming the community around us in ways that represent Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God in our midst. To be a blessing in our community is to participate in transforming the community around us 
into God's image and God's kingdom. Now, many of you are aware that we've proposed some new language uh, for our constitution and bylaws as a church, and we're presenting that proposal at our mid-year celebration. We just had one of our town hall meetings uh, before this service, and many of you were there. And that really relates to missional marker number 10, right? Developing fruitful organizational structures. In the section of our constitution and bylaws that uh, talks about what we believe as a church, we haven't taken anything away from that, but we've added some language that helps us to understand what does it mean for us as a spiritual faith community to be the church in the world. And so I just wanted to share with you a couple of the phrases that we've added. Um, You can get the larger document to see all of them, but we have them on the slide for you. Number one is we believe that as Christ's representative in the world, the church is to be an agent of grace entrusted with the message of reconciliation, hope, justice, and peace, addressing not only the consequences, but also the causes of suffering as the body of Christ in the world. And then also, we believe that the church, as a kingdom community, is committed to reaching across boundaries of race, ethnicity, culture, gender, age, and status in the cultivation of communities of life and service. You see, we're entrusted with cultivating healthy and missional communities in the world around us so so that even though people might not believe in Jesus or be disciples of Jesus, they can begin to experience the transformation of life in this world through the power of God at work through the church. Now, many churches in our day are becoming more and more willing to ask the hard questions about what are the issues in our culture and our society that we need to address. They're beginning to work to be intentional about raising awareness of these issues and to to have conversations about what the role of the church is. But they're not looking only outside to how we can serve in our communities, but we're also looking to reach across denominational boundaries to ask how can we be partnering with other churches down the street and in our community to come together and to, as the body of Christ writ large, to make a more powerful impact to transform the communities in which we live. In many ways, I'd like to suggest for us that we are recovering our prophetic voice in our culture. Let me talk about what I mean by that. Uh, We are discovering a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in the scriptures from the prophets that help us to understand the role of the church, of God's people, to speak into the communities and the culture in which we live. One of the most popular or well-known prophetic verses is from the prophet Micah, uh, Micah 6.8, where Micah says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, again, this idea of having a prophetic voice, if we think about what prophecy is, oftentimes we're tempted to think only in terms of like this future telling, like prophecies about the end times and and predicting what's going to happen. And while that's a piece of it, more often than not, the prophetic voice in Scripture is the voice of God coming to God's people to, to call them to a renewed sense of awareness of their present circumstances. Uh, to call them to a renewed sense of the condition of their own hearts. To call them to a renewed sense of awareness of where they stand in their relationship with God. And to a renewed sense of awareness of how they're living out their faith in God in the culture and in the community around them. The central goal of the prophetic voice is always first and foremost to clarify what a relationship with God really means and what is it about for us. Let's go back to Micah 6, 8 and jump up to verse 6 and read that verse in the larger context that Micah has it. In verse 6, he actually starts with saying, with what shall I come before the Lord? See, this is a, this is a worship question. 
And how, and, and bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall I, shall I sacrifice my own child and worship to God? Is that what God wants? What does God actually expect of me and demand of me to come and be in relationship and worship with him? And that's where he gets to verse 8. He says, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, relationship with God all the way back in the Old Testament was never about performing religious rituals in order to earn our way into God's favor, or to somehow merit heaven by our good deeds. It's not following a religious code in order to somehow check off the box to say that we're a good Christian because we've done all of these things. It's about how we live in relationship with each other and how we live in relationship with the community around us. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God is all a part about how we live out our faith in our day-to-day lives 24-7 as we go through life together. Now, if you think about historically uh, how the church kind of applied this as it formed and became the, the, the disciples of Jesus, historically, following Christ and his example, Christians were concerned about helping those who were downtrodden, those who were weak, those who were poor or in oppressive situations. Even early on in, in Acts chapter 6, we saw that the Hellenistic or the Greek widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And so the church got together and the leaders said, hey, we need to form a new ministry team. And, and we need to get some deacons, some servants who are going to come and they're going to address this issue of injustice. It's not fair that, that these foreign widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food. And so this mission of compassion and mercy and justice for people who were in need began to be a part of the life of the church very early on. Through the centuries, we know that this servant model of ministry reflected the larger mission of the church in all the kinds of activities that Christians began to be involved in. It was evident through outreach ministries like the founding of schools and hospitals. Uh, homes for the elderly and the infirm, soup kitchens for the homeless, drug treatment centers for the addicted, and the centuries-long, ever-changing movement to abolish slavery in all its forms, which, sadly to say, slavery is alive and well on this planet, and the whole issue of human trafficking, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute, has millions of people continually caught in this issue of slavery. In many ways, We could say that the church has been charged with prophetically calling out the brokenness and the injustice in our world and being engaged with helping to address the causes of suffering and injustice for those who are caught in those life circumstances. Sometimes to our credit, which we should, uh, I, I think, celebrate, and sometimes to our shame, which we need to be honest about, Christians through the centuries have responded to this charge with varying degrees of success and sometimes even failure. Yet we know if we look at Jesus as our primary example and we go back to when he launched his public ministry, he chose the prophet Isaiah, the prophetic voice from the Old Testament to help us understand what he was going to be about in his ministry. And in Luke 4, verses 18 to 19, we have Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I just want to suggest that 
it's very easy for us to risk jumping over the direct interpretation of this scripture to a perhaps an over-spiritualized version of it. Now, I think it's true that Jesus came to rescue you and me who might be more likely in the spiritual category of the spiritually poor or the spiritually oppressed, or the the spiritually blind. We need to be waken up. We need to be uh, brought to awareness of who God is and, and, and his love in our lives. But let's not too quickly skip over the fact that I think Jesus was also identifying that his mission was to be rescuing real life people in real life situations who were in prison, who were oppressed, who were struggling with illnesses and infirmities. And that as his followers, part of our mission is to have compassion and care for people in those life situations as well. If we over-spiritualize our interpretation of Jesus' mission here, we run the risk of not feeling the call to be concerned and to be on mission to actually step out and do something about people who are in very difficult and humbling circumstances. Jesus announced the good news for the whole world, but he also gave particular attention to the poor and the captive, the incapacitated, and the oppressed. Jesus persistently allied allied himself with those who were considered untouchable in his culture, as well as those without voice, the outcasts and the foreigners. In both word and action throughout the Gospels, we can see Jesus attack discrimination against lepers, against Gentiles, against Samaritans, against tax collectors, shepherds, women, and even children. As we pursue ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice in our world, we intimately link our love for God with our love for our neighbor, which is really the ultimate goal of the commands of God, right? Is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus said, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice are the place where the rubber meets the road as we begin to live out our faith following the mission of Jesus to make a difference in the culture around us. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you think about it, is really the ultimate ministry of compassion, mercy, and justice for us as well, right? As we participate in Jesus' mission, we seek to bless the world around us. That was the whole value of the series we just came out of. And we enter into this mission with deep gratitude for how we've been blessed, but also deep humility. Because we recognize that the, the source of the problems of the brokenness and the injustice and the, the, the broken systems of our world is the very sin that we struggle with and that Jesus came to overcome. So, so we, 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 we receive this call with humility, knowing that we are, we're a part of this broken system, and, and, and that but for the grace of God, we could be in any of these situations that we find going on in our world and in our culture. We understand that human sin is at the root of all of the brokenness of our world, and that to address that sin, we not only need to identify its cause and where the brokenness comes from, but we need to be willing to step out and offer a helping hand to find solutions to the problems that exist. See, far from being a a, a simply personal issue, the Christian life isn't just about my own personal walk with Jesus. It's about how I live that out in the world around me. We recognize that sin has created complex and pervasive systems in our world that that seek to undermine the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus. It's the very world system that was in full operation that, that, that brought about the very suffering of Jesus on the cross. It's that same system that would love to see nothing more than the the good news of Jesus be undermined and prevented from moving forward into the world. 
So the service and work that we do in the world, as flawed as it is with our own human limitations, is still founded on the very work of God that he began in his son, Jesus Christ. The redemption and reconciliation and restoration of the world through Jesus. Now, other translations of Micah 6, 8 read, And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, a number of years ago, uh, reworked their organizational structure, and they identified five missional priorities that we have as a denomination. And one of the five missional priorities they titled, Love Mercy and Do Justice. Love Mercy and Do Justice. And when they say to love mercy is to meet the need. To do justice is to solve the problem. See, to to love mercy is to identify and have compassion for the need and to to meet the need. But then we have to take that next step to actually be willing to do justice and to help solve the problem. So perhaps for us, we could ask, what does acting justly or doing justice look like in our community, in our culture? What does loving mercy look like for Faith Covenant Church? How does walking humbly with our God look like and feel to our friends and our neighbors in the community around us? And this morning, I'd like to suggest that the main point I want to make and the main task that we have before us is that all starts simply with awareness. It starts with educating ourselves and paying attention to what's going on in the culture around us so that we can be able to respond to the needs that we see. And I know that Faith Covenant Church has a huge heart for its community. This church is actively working, doing ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice to meet the needs of of our local community and our region and even sending people around the globe on mission. We have a heart for our community. And and yet, within our own community, I I would suggest to you that, is it possible that there are some people right here in our own faith community, maybe even right here in this room, who who feel excluded or marginalized in some ways, who who maybe don't feel like they're they're really part of the in-core group, that, that they're willing to hang out with us because they sense the Spirit of God here and they're hopeful for something more, but, but maybe they don't feel comfortable or safe to speak out what's really going on for them. Is it possible that even as a faith community, we need to raise our awareness of what people's experience is in our church itself? As we look to the demographics of our local community, we're understanding that East Pierce County is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States right now. And in that demographic, younger families are the fastest demographic of of the population that are going to be growing in the next 10 to 20 years. And of that, the the fastest growing population is actually going to be Asian Americans. 7% increase, I think, is what the demographic studies we saw. Our culture is changing around us. 20 years from now, our community is going to continue to transform and be different. And for those of you who have been here for a long time, I can only assume that where we're at today is dramatically different from 20 years ago. If we look even broader to the larger country that we live in, we know that Hunger and poverty continue to be a challenge. And it's kind of this, this, this difficult one for us, right? We live in the wealthiest country in the world, and still some 49 million Americans, 16.2 million of them children, struggle to put food on the table every day. Or, or think about the, 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 the risk and the, the safety factor for, for our women in our culture, for you women, ladies, right? Domestic violence to women and children, every 15 seconds a woman is battered in our culture. Three or more women each day are murdered by their husband or boyfriend. 
And some 63,000 children a year are now estimated to experience some form of sexual abuse. The, the safety factor for our women and our children is not good. And, and, and what can we do about that? How can we be involved in that? Or should we? What is the role of the church in addressing these kinds of societal issues? Another one that blew me away just in terms of the statistic is uh, the, the mass incarceration rate, right? The number of people in prison in our society. Uh, the estimate I read said 7,328,200 people in our prison systems today. One in 31 adults in the United States is in prison. Now, to put this in perspective, I did a little math. I looked up the, uh, the population of our statistical region in the uh, uh, Puget Sound area. And if you combined Pierce County, King County, and Snohomish County, the population is 3,798,902. So almost double the number of people who live in our Seattle metro area are in prison in the United States today. I mean, that blows my mind. More than 60% of the people in prison now are of racial and ethnic minorities. So even though they form a smaller percentage of the total population, the total population of people in prison are people of ethnic and racial differences from us. I just want to pause here because this one for me, I think, is really uh, sensitive. But it's also, I think, one of the most important that we need to be paying attention to. And that's the issue of racial reconciliation and righteousness. We know that we have a race problem in our country, don't we? We know that we've had a race problem in our country for years and years. It's come up again in our presidential elections. We know that it's a challenge. We see it on the news. And, and, and nobody knows exactly how to address it or, or how to talk about it. Lucas, my son, and I have begun reading uh, this book that was on his list at school. It's a little paperback book for elementary kids, The Life and Words of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and, and I have to confess to you, as we're reading through this, there are many pieces of the civil rights movement from the 50s and 60s that I, I never knew. I, I, I never took the time to educate myself on, on what our African-American brothers and sisters went through in their struggle for equality and for freedom. And, 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 and it's amazing to me how all of these years later, some 60 years later after the civil rights movement, we still have this question of how do we address the issue of race in our culture. And again, I'm not talking about taking sides. I'm just saying we know there's an issue, and how do we get involved in, in finding solutions? You know, the, the civil rights movement was primarily uh, uh, about desegregation. You know, back in those days, uh, they, they separated people by their skin color, whether it was riding on buses or using bathrooms or eating at lunch counters, even sharing drinking fountains. The movement was all about desegregating our culture based on race and a, and a, and a request for equality and fairness and justice to be done recognizing that the impact of slavery in our culture had continued to cause problems and, and continues even to today. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw blame. I'm not trying to say anybody's at fault. I'm saying we've got an issue. We've got a problem, and we know that it's an issue, but nobody's talking about it. We're not able to do anything about it. One of the biggest challenges for me that I want to share with you today is not only do we know that we have issue of race in our country, but we know we have issues of race in our church, in the country. Two authors who wrote a book a number of years ago, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith, did a, some research, and the book is called Divided by Faith. 
And if you think about it, some 60 years after the civil rights movement sought to overcome segregation in our society, do you know that the most segregated time in our culture in America is on Sunday morning? When Christians come to worship on Sunday morning, it is the most segregated time in our culture today. That, that blows me away. I mean, of all the people who, who should be able to overcome our differences and, and come together in unity and to seek the kingdom of God together, shouldn't it be us as Christians? But why is it that we're the ones who are the most segregated? I, I don't have an answer for that, but it's, it's a problem that we need to talk about. The challenge I would like to suggest is that we don't know how to talk about it. It's not safe to talk about it. We don't give each other permission to to talk about the hard issues in our life, in our culture. Or if we do, we get too angry and polarized and we assume that there's a winner and a loser. And so the conversation breaks down before it even gets started. Now, again, I'm not talking about which banner you're waving this morning. If you come waving the Black Lives Banner movement, or if you come waving the Blue Lives Banner movement, or or if you come, uh, I think we can probably all get behind the All Lives Matter banner, right? I mean, I would suggest to you that we already have that banner, though, and here it is on the platform today, right? Memorial Day weekend. We have the American flag that is our banner that says All Lives Matter, and we celebrate that men and women of all ethnicities and races have given the ultimate sacrifice to secure the freedoms that we have today. All lives matter. Not only do we have a flag that says all lives matter, more than that, we have God's word which demonstrates to us that all lives matter to God who gave the life of his son for the life of the world. We're reminded in Colossians 3, verses 11 to 14, that here, meaning in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, our call to be participating in ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice is part of our call to demonstrate the love of God for the world for for which he gave his son. The problem is that waving our banners alone and even saying that all lives matter and acknowledging that we believe that doesn't address the fact that we continue to struggle with separation and division and hurts and injustices and a lack of communication because of our ethnic and racial differences in our culture and even as Christians as we've talked about here this morning. So I'd like to suggest to you this morning, again, the main point I want to make is that awareness is the most important first step. We need to simply be able to start talking about it. And then if we can start talking about it and we can hear each other's stories and we can understand people's experiences, then maybe we can begin to care and have compassion from a place of understanding and knowledge rather than just a place of assumed experience. And then maybe, just maybe, if we can begin to have a heart of compassion, we as the body of Christ can begin to step out and do something about it, participating in finding a solution in the world. As Christians, we, of all people, should be a part of the prophetic voice that is calling the people of our country and our nation to a higher vision of what it means to be the people of God and to live in community with one another, to demonstrate the kingdom of God among us. Amen?
Kara Harris, our student ministries director, is helping us with this as a church right now with our students. Both our middle school uh, students and our high school students are beginning to have the conversation. They're watching some videos. They're sharing, hearing personal testimonies. They're sharing stories. And they're talking about, why is this issue so important for us? How is it impacting the students that we actually have in our youth group today, in the schools where they live? And, and how can we begin to not only become more aware, but participate in the solution moving forward as a culture? Our God is calling us to act justly, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him, knowing that none of us is perfect. And I don't know exactly what all this might look like, but I'd like to suggest to you that that as I reflected on the series that we just came out of that we called Bless, those five simple missional practices could give us a clue on how to move forward even in this area of racial righteousness and reconciliation. Think about it again. What if we applied to our ethnic brothers and sisters, people whose skin color is different from us, what if we began to pray? What if we began with prayer? What if we took the time to listen with care? Just ask each other about life and stories. What if we, my favorite, what if we ate together? What if you got around a table with people who who looked differently from you, who had a different background from you, and you just shared life stories and got to know each other? What if we learned how to serve each other in love? I'm thinking we have, as a covenant church, we have sister churches right up the valley here in Renton and Kent and South Seattle, who are churches who are looking different than us, but they're worshiping the same God this time this morning. What if we connected with those churches and said, hey, could could we learn how to serve each other in love? What can we do to help each other and share our stories? Think about that BLESS acronym. Wouldn't that be a great starting point on how to just connect and begin to ask ourselves how God might use us to be a prophetic voice in our culture, in our community that obviously can't figure out how to get unstuck from this situation? Now, uh, this is just one of the huge social issues that we face in our culture, right? I'm suggesting this is an important one for us because of where we're at and the people we have coming to our church and the way our community is going to change. But, I mean, we can have a laundry list of huge issues that we need to be aware of and educating ourselves about and talking about. Just real quick, in our world, you know, as I mentioned before, the issue of human trafficking is astounding. 27 million people are in some form of slavery today. 27 million people in slavery today whether it be forced labor, child soldiers, or the majority of them are trafficked for uh, sexual slaves. 50% of those people are children. 50% of the 27 million people in slavery are children. And 80% of them are women. We have ongoing warfare throughout the world, creating refugee crises where nation after nation are struggling to know, what do we do? Do we open our doors? Do we close our doors? Do we create you know, cities for them to go to? I mean, it, it's just this massive problem that nobody has any good answers to. Access to clean water and to economic development in some of the poorest parts of the country. Now, here's one we're actually doing something about, right? Our World Vision race team is raising money to send clean water to the covenant church in Congo to be able to allow them to do economic development. And and that race is going to be on the 18th. And in a little bit, you're going to hear about how you might be able to help support the team and be a part of this mission to bring clean water and economic development to Africa. But then on the 25th, we're going to have a Hope Sunday where we're going to hear even more about what's going on in Congo and how we can be participating in ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice to our brothers and sisters who are around the globe in some very difficult circumstances. The list goes on and on and on. 
We are already working on these and there's more to be done. But I'd say, again, the most important thing we can be doing right now is beginning to raise our awareness, to educate ourselves, and to talk about where God might be leading us as a church to participate. As Christians, we need to be continually asking ourselves, how are we actively involved and participating in addressing not only the causes, but also the consequences of sin in our world? Just like to wrap up with the words from Jeremiah 29, 7 to the people of Israel in exile. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And just like they were in exile, we too are in exile in this world, are we not? The Bible tells us this world isn't our home. Uh, We've been brought to new life in Jesus Christ, and our home is in heaven. We're just pilgrims passing through, and we're happen to be here because this is the place where God has planted you, and God has planted me. And God wants us to have a heart for the prosperity of the city where we live, of the county in which we live, because in its prosperity will be our prosperity. We will be a blessing, and, and we will be blessed because of the ways God uses us in ministries of compassion and mercy and justice. As we align our hearts with the heart of God, He calls us to ministries that bring transformation to the people and the communities around us. It's my hope that God will once again give us the courage to have a prophetic voice in our culture and in our community, to lead disciples of Jesus, to step into the brokenness of the world around us, to have a compassionate heart and be willing to do the work of making a difference. Wouldn't it be great if as Christians, wouldn't it be great if as at Faith Covenant Church, our reputation in our community is that we were compassionate, merciful, and we did justice. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's pray. God, these are, these are hard, hard issues in our culture. And none of us have the answers to them all. But we know, God, that you call us to be willing to have compassion, to be merciful, and to seek justice for all people. God, give us the courage to come together as a faith community, to to educate ourselves, to to talk honestly and openly, to understand other people's experiences. But ultimately, God, to value each person and everyone. God, help us to be a part of building your kingdom here because this is not for our glory, but it's for yours. And we ask that you would allow us to use the blessings that you give us to be a blessing to others and to transform the community around us. We ask this in Jesus' name.